All right, let's pray. Lord, there is something about uh, children that turns our eyes to what it looks like to be a follower, to serve in your kingdom, to be citizens of your kingdom, Lord, to trust and have wonder and so many things. And so, Lord, as we talk about uh, this part of your Sermon on the Mount, Lord, help us to understand what it looks like to follow after you, to have faith in you, and to be citizens of your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we are continuing our series of, of citizen, looking at what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And we've been looking at uh, Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, um, and the idea that uh, to be a citizen means having allegiance to something. So if you're a citizen of the United States, the, I, the idea is that your citizenship is your allegiance to the United States. So here, what we're talking about is that your allegiance as a citizen of the kingdom is to the kingdom and to the king alone, even above um, country and origin and all those things. Our citizenship is in heaven, so to speak. And that doesn't mean just some other time, some other place. But living the life of the way of, the, of heaven here and now. And so... We uh, to be citizens. We best, I think, we best understand it when Matthew in Matthew five to seven, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about um, the Sermon on the Mount. And so, two weeks ago, we started in Matthew five when we looked at the the Beatitudes, and right from the start, we saw just how radical, countercultural, counterintuitive, upside down this was. The, the things that Jesus called his blessed. Uh, if you and I, we would never define, a lot of times we wouldn't define blessedness that way, or the good life. And then last week we looked at what it meant to be salt and to be light and to be a kingdom, set, a city set on a hill. And today we are looking at Matthew five seventeen to 20 and how, how Jesus fulfills all the law and all the prophets. So Matthew five seventeen. The 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who has set aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So in this setting, in the first century, people, uh, Jewish people, were hungering and thirsting, crying out for a deliverer, a messiah. To deliver them uh, from the hands of the Romans who had come and who had taken over their land and had been oppressing their people. And so they're crying out for, for someone to come, the anointed one, the Messiah, but a certain picture of the Messiah. They had this idea that the Messiah would come in the way of David. And so a, a, a Messiah who came riding a war horse, carrying a sword and violently overthrowing those who were suppressing them, who were oppressing them. 
And so uh, they were looking for a revolution. They wanted overthrowing. In fact, actually what you see in between the Old Testament, the ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, is that there were many movements of people who would come and, and, and claim the mantle of anointed one, of Messiah, and they would rise up with sword and try to overthrow Rome. And time and time and time again, all these uh, would-be messiahs were violently put to death and overthrow, and nothing came of it. And so here comes Jesus. And so he had, he had to, as the, messiah, as the Messiah, walk away between being faithful to the old ways of the law and the prophets, but also to live in a different way of, of one of revolution. Um, and so he had to be mindful of saying, how do I... Um, take the law and the prophets because they are pointing to him, but then uh, maybe live it in a, in a new, different way. So what we find out is that his revolution was one that was still deeply rooted in the way of the law and the prophets. But then the people's understanding of what that meant didn't line up. And so one of the things that we have to really see is that Jesus was a first century Jewish person in a Jewish land. Like, one of the dangers of, of not understanding that is we rip Jesus out of that context. And then we begin to make Jesus in our own image. Because if we remove his Jewishness from him, we get another Jesus. We get a Jesus not of the New Testament. We get it of our own making. If we, as one person said, unhinge Jesus or the Christian faith from the Old Testament, we end up getting a Jesus that looks unhinged from the whole story. And then you just mean, just like mean cultural Jesus, and you get all kinds of pictures. But we have to understand Jesus was deeply Jewish. In fact, last week we talked about salt and light, right? And so he wasn't just making these metaphors up. They were metaphors that were being used of the Jewish people and the hope that God had in the Jewish people to live in certain ways, to be salt and to be light. And we talked about how they weren't living up into that calling, that blessing that uh, God gave them in Genesis 12. And so... He's using these metaphors, these Jewish metaphors, to then point to his life, his death, his resurrection. And so the assumption that I'm drawing in this section, because it seems weird, it doesn't seem like it flows, because it seems like it takes a left turn there for a little bit. You know, like the Beatitudes, okay, salt and light. Oh, yeah, that, you know, to live the Beatitudes is to be salt and light. It makes sense. And then all of a sudden, boom. So do not think that I have come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And you're like... Where'd that come from? My assumption is, is that as he's preaching this, people are whispering, well, that doesn't seem to line up. That doesn't seem to fit the law and the prophets. He's just coming to, again to overthrow and revolutionize. And we've seen this before, and it doesn't go well. 
But Jesus is saying that everything he was doing, preaching and teaching, was not about destroying it. It was not about abolishing it, but it was about fulfilling it. See, he wasn't, to, he wasn't abolishing what came before him. He was fulfilling it. In fact, the word abolish there is a Greek word that means to tear apart or to loosen. And in fact, a lot of the times in Matthew, when you see the word abolish, it refers to the temple. Matthew 24, 2, Matthew 26, 61, and 27, 40. So he said he wasn't abolishing the law and prophets. We do see him reinterpreting it, right? You've heard it said, whatever, and, but I say to you this. What is interesting is if he was trying to abolish, he wouldn't have used those very words because those very words are very rabbinic. Rabbinic teachers who had their own teaching would say, you have heard it said, and then they would fill in whatever, and, but I tell you, this is kind of a new teaching. Boom. So it's very much in line with the rabbinical way of teaching. And so he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. So the question is, what does it mean that he fulfills the law and the prophets? Well, first of all, the word law and the prophets, what he's saying is the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, and the prophets, meaning and everything that came after it. Because we all kind of aware of this. There wasn't a New Testament when Jesus was there, but there was the Old Testament. And so when he says scriptures, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the Old Testament, or what we call the Old Testament. And so he says, do not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill that Torah and the rest of the Old Testament. He fulfilled them. So the question is, what does it mean to fulfill the law and the prophets? And then, what is the ultimate ultimate purpose of the law and the prophets why does jesus fulfill them so again the greek word for fulfill is the is the greek word plori which means to make full to fill up to render full to carry into effect to bring to realization or to realize to complete to bring to an end Often, when we hear the word fulfill in the New Testament, we think, oh, there are these prophecies in the old that then Jesus fulfills in the new. And that is definitely part of it. But I'm thinking here, what he's getting at, it's like, I came to do what the law required. That humanity couldn't do on its own. Or what the what we gave... what. My father gave to the people of Israel, they time and time again did not fulfill it. And so I have come to fulfill what God the Father has given to the people of Israel. Think of, think of Jesus as the new Israel. Think of Jesus as new humanity. And so the law, what is the law? So think about it this way. And I'm sure you all have never, ever done this. You're driving down Route 30, and the sign says 65. You're all going 65, right? You're never going, you know, 75 down the highway. The sign there, 65, is a law. It does two things. It tells you your, the boundaries of what it means to follow it rightly. Should be 65 or under. 
and also how to break it, 75 and over, or 70 and over. Depending what cop you pass, it may be under a little under 70. Sometimes they give you a little leniency. So in other words, the law and the scriptures point to two things. It points to the way of life. Here's how, it, here's how you live for life. And two, this is what it looks like to follow in the way of death. That's what the law does. It's a, those two things. A man who, uh, Tim Mackey, who does the Bible Project, if you're aware of that, says this. If the, law, if the laws play a key role in showing the divine ideal and also exposing human failure, it points you forward to the need for humans who do listen to the voice and the need for transformation of humanity so that they can be what God has always called them to be. So, so Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets in the way that the people of Israel and humanity could never do. This call of, of Genesis chapter 12, be a blessing to all nations. And, and God's calling this people into this life to be a blessing and to live in this way of life. Even in the very beginning, the story is there are these two trees, right? The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so which way is it? Are you going to live into the way of life or live into the way of death? Mackey continues, The dual row of the law to condemn and to point to true life is fulfilled in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit to Jesus' new covenant people. Jesus was the first obedient human and the faithful Israelite who fulfilled the law, yet bore the curse of humanity's punishment so that others could have life and the status of covenant righteousness. So he says he fulfills it, as only a perfect God could. And then he says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Older translations say jot, tittle. The smallest letters, the smallest markings in the Hebrew alphabet. What he's saying is everything points to Jesus. All of the law, all the prophets point to Jesus. The fulfillment that Jesus is bringing through his life and his death and his resurrection. He was the only one who could fulfill this. Again, law shows us what we should be about and when we break it. Jesus is the one who can only perfectly fulfill that calling of life. This new humanity, this new Israel. And so the call is to live and choose the way of life, not death. To be a new way of being human. Just deeper than following the roles, right? Because you can follow the rule, right? You can drive 65, and you're technically doing the right thing. No one's going to pull you over. But maybe your heart's saying, man, man, oh man, I want to go 90. Well, which one is it? What's better, to follow the letter of the law or have a heart that desires to do the right thing? I was having a conversation couple weeks ago with my sister about this very thing about somehow we got on this topic of like Jesus desires more than just external like external obedience 
like I said, you know, picture this. You go into a parking lot and you, there's an empty spot in the very front and this car comes and it has a handicap sticker on it. Now you have a choice. Do you give that parking space to, and again, again, it's not a perfect metaphor because, you know, there's parking for handicap accessibility. But anyway, I said, or an older person, you know, and they, you can either do one of two things. You can either take that and be a real jerk, or you can then find a parking space somewhere else. Now, assuming you're not a real jerk, you'll give it up. But what does your heart say? Do you grumble when you give it up? Or do you give it from a a joyful heart of saying, I'm doing it for the betterment of someone else? The action may be the same. You gave up the parking lot, the parking space, but the inner is what really matters. And so that's what actually Jesus is starting to say in verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's like a high standard. At that day and that age, you're like, wait, I have to have more righteousness than the Pharisees. In fact, often when we think of Pharisees, we think of negative terms, right? We think of hypocritical, self-righteous, sanctimonious. But what we see a lot of times, actually, if you understand, that Pharisees were a positive influence. They were held up as this is what it looks like to live righteously. In fact, actually, there's a lot of commonality between Jesus and the Pharisees um, in some of the beliefs. They both believed that the law and the prophets dealt with and applied to life. They believed in a general resurrection, future reward and punishment, along with the spiritual realm of angels and demons. But then this is where they diverge. Jesus here is they thought, wow, Pharisees and the teachers were the most righteous people. Now we have to go beyond them. But what Jesus is saying is it is not just about the external. To be a citizen of the kingdom isn't just to follow the law and the prophets and the rules and say, see, I'm a very good person because I fulfill it. But then your heart stays hardened. Your heart stays not open to God because you think you got it all figured out. You think you have it done perfectly. No, no. In fact, what he says is, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. How often can we say, yes, I want to follow you, Lord, but then go, I only want to do it so that I get kudos from people. To be a citizen of his kingdom is one who honors Jesus with both our speech and our life externally, but more from an internal motivation. To have a heart, citizens of kingdom have a beating heart that beats in rhythm with Jesus. Our heart beats with the way he lived his life, and our hearts break with the things that breaks his. A fully aligned heart and external. We serve someone, not so that somebody sees us and say, man, you are so spiritual, or you're so amazing, pat yourself on the back. No, we serve, we love, because our heart has been transformed by the one who's fulfilled all the law and the prophets. And so may we see that Jesus is what the entirety of the law and the prophets point to.
May we see that he fulfilled what Israel and all of humanity was unable to. May we see that because he is the new Israel and the new humanity, we can have shalom in all areas of life. And that when we have shalom, when our hearts beat and break with his, then we may share shalom in our world. So we're going to spend a couple minutes to uh, unpack together uh, a few of those uh, questions.